When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon group of podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Mike Leadis. I spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company, and working as a publicist. For you 2 The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymikeleadis.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of the Ramones, Steve Winwood, the Cramps, U2, etc, etc. We also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, on with the show. And regular listeners to this podcast will recognise this person. It's uh, the finale bit with Dave Robinson. Now, Dave Robinson is, uh, well, he was a mentor of mine, but uh, his career is fantastic. I mean, he started kind of, you know, as a photographer. You'll hear bits of this and uh, in the previous two interviews. So if you haven't heard them, I would uh, definitely encourage you to go back and check out the uh, the archives, the previous two shows that Dave Robinson's on. Dave started as a photographer, like I said, and uh, he really was the kind of instrumental in the whole start of pub rock in the UK in the 70s, which uh, evolved into punk and stuff. He started Stiff Records with Elvis Costello, Ian Jury, Madness, um, The Pogues, etc., etc., and uh, in the early 80s, he went to run Island Records for a couple of years in their most, and gave them their most successful year with Frankie Oster Hollywood, U2 and the Bob Marley Legend Album. I'll shut up there because he's going to tell you about how the Legend Album came together. Please welcome, stand, rise, all rise for Mr. Dave Robinson. Uh, going back to those late 60s, um, I, I mean, were you, you were around with Hendrix at the same time as Led Zeppelin and, and Peter Grant changed the... The, the book, so to speak, with live work, didn't it? So that you actually made really good money playing live then, where the bands didn't used to before. Yeah, yeah, he did He did do that. Peter Grant did do that. He, he upped the ante for the band. And because they were such a big seller, such an incredible kind of vehicle, musical vehicle, great player, John Paul Jones on bass. Oh, you know. So... And I knew Robert Plant very well from the Midlands. I'd met him at several pubs, funny enough. He'd been headlining and I'd, I'd had the support band or something. So I knew him very well, very nice guy. And um, he did up he did up the game. The problem with, with Peter is he's got a huge coke habit and lost the rest of his fucking mind, right? And that was a problem. But that's the problem of this business is that people, the travel and the kind of hard work that goes into making it on the night and making the great track uh, has waylaid an awful lot of people in drink and drugs and that's to be frowned on that's that that is not clever you're not going to play better because you take him you're not going to manage anyone better peter grant i signed dave edmonds to swan song which was the record label that he started with led zeppelin's kind of money because they were all shareholders 
And, you know, it was difficult to negotiate with the man. He kept leaving the room every two minutes and coming back with a lot of white stuff on his nose, you know. He'd say, uh, a bit of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, uh, we all have to, um, the rest of us who've done the work have to hold our heads up and be noticed. Whereas the people that we look forward to uh, with the names of the, of the administrators and managers, most of them, there is a good story about them, and, and it's fairly libelous, and, and it's not attractive. You know. I love the Zeppelin story, and with Hendrix and stuff, because I kind of grew up in that period with music and things, and I think the thing is, I mean, even from the extremes, I mean, it's incredible people like Page are alive. I mean, Bonzo's obviously not, but I mean, they kind of invented sex, drugs, and rock and roll, didn't they? They made yeah, they it popular. <laughs> <laughs> they, they brought it to the mainstream, shall we say. They carried it, lots of it. Yeah, I mean, Robert was a good, really good singer. Plagiarized a lot of blues songs, and some of them they have now paid, paid for. They've credited the original writers of a lot of these songs. Jimmy Page was great at nicking somebody else's riff, but a lot of other people did that too. I'm not, I'm not knocking him completely, but... You just give a little bit of credit to, I mean, the Rolling Stones were all built around the Delta Blues. Um, you know, they didn't have a lot of songs of their own. The Beatles had to give them their second hit. Uh, I want to be your man, you know, and that's a great story about their manager meeting who knew uh, Paul and John from the Beatles and met them in the street, really, when, when they'd been out to a, to a bit of a, a do, a, a music do, and they're a bit piddled. So he dragged them in the studio and they played this song to Mick Jagger. And uh, old Mick knew a good one when it, when it came and landed on his shoulder. And that was very good. There's been some great, you know, there's been lots of great stories and lots of great people. There's been lots of interesting stuff. And you don't, they say it's not so interesting nowadays, which is probably true, but it's just the huge volume of music, huge volume of people making stuff, the huge, volume of computer programmers who call themselves musicians and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't get in this business to meet computer programmers. I mean, there's no, I'm nothing against them. They're, they're, a, they're a worthy bunch of people, but they stay out of my face and talking about music because it's not. And when you look at, um, the, I mean, the two great comparisons from the 60s and things, Zeppelin and Hendrix, I mean, there was probably a difference between the infrastructure, obviously not including yourself, but with... I mean, they had Ahmed Ertigan running the label and Peter Grant managing them, and Hendrix didn't have that, did he, on his side? No, he didn't. The Ertigans were well-to-do Turkish um, diplomat sons, Neshui and uh, Ahmed, and they, they were very into the music. Neshui is a big jazz fan. They, they got involved in the music because they had good income from their families, and so they it was a labor of love and that was pretty good chris blackwell similarly started off labor of love but he got a bit bored and he wanted to maybe go into the film business or something he just you know i mean when you've met one band you've kind of met them all <laughs> is that true anyway you know what i mean i mean the, the same problems do arise um yeah so all those bands a lot of those blues bands were good. I mean, Fleetwood Mac were very good. Early Peter Green, you know, incredible, incredible stuff. There was some great, and the English really took to that, whereas the Americans didn't even know it was there until the Beatles 
a lot of American youth were not aware that the music came from America. They thought it came from Liverpool, etc. etc. I remember having a big row in a, in a bar in Los Angeles, and I had to do a runner at the last minute. I had to run to the loo and then shoot out the back door because these geezers were going to kill me because I said, you know, Twist and Shout wasn't a Beatles song, and they had a huge row about it. But uh, Jimmy, you've got to remember that the sound and the way things worked then were, were different. Where, you know, I mean, very small PAs, nothing was mic'd up. The sound came off the stage. It, so you needed bigger and bigger. You know, Pete, Pete Townsend, you know, just deaf as a post now with <laughs> terrible tinnitus because he played in front of, you know, 400 watts of big sound. The drummer had one overhead mic and one bass drum mic. And that was the way it kind of worked. Um, small gear. The public obviously were happy with it. But um, nowadays, the control of the sound, all those kind of technical stuff has has really come on leaps and bounds. And that's, that's great. But you need also to plug in some good music to make it function. You know, a lot of people just playing off backing tracks. And things. Let's um, jump ahead to, um, you know... Uh your time at Ireland, because obviously I was I was there at that time as well. And I remember you telling me about you putting the track listing together for Legend. Chris Blackwell, when when I joined, Chris gave me some artwork and a track listing. And he said, I'd like you to do a greatest hits of Bob Marley. Uh, we haven't put anything out since he died, which is a complete lie. Ireland's actually put out two albums, which hadn't really um, gone as well as Ireland imagined. You know, as when the artist, Jimi Hendrix had an expression which I used a lot. He said, when you're dead, you're made for life. <laughs> I think he was talking about record companies. Anyway, um, yeah, he gave me the thing. So the, the picture was fantastic. It, it was one of the great, I have, I have it at home here. One of the great pictures of Bob Marley live. Adrian Boot? I've no doubt. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You seem to take every reggae picture I've ever liked. Um, uh, Bob had twisted to the side and so his locks had gone out like a hat he looked like he had a pilgrim hat on where he jerked to the side and it was a great picture so and the running order you know i looked at and i said to chris well no this isn't how i see it chris this isn't this isn't how uh, i would like to do it and he said well what do you mean it's a great picture i said yeah but you know it's to my theory of Bob Marley is that he hadn't really reached the white market. His, his fans in Jamaica and otherwise were great, but he hadn't really come to the white market. And so I wanted to present him to that market because I thought he would. Ha- his songs were so good that they would get they would match in there. And it's true. Ireland um, promoted him in camouflage gear a lot, slightly militant. Uh, Bob didn't like pictures of him smiling, so Blackwell uh, would X any of those pictures. A lot of Bob's pictures smiling didn't reach the public. You know, the only time he seemed to smile is when he's playing football. And so uh, I had a vision of him looking like a very interesting, reflective songwriter rather than a heavy uh, reggae rasta thing. And the, the track listing was based on my wife who was pregnant at the time very pregnant and our son jack robinson who is in utero every day at lunchtime i would take my wife on a 20 minute drive out the motorway and 20 minute back because ireland was just on the edge of the motorway so i'd pick her up and we would go out and listen because we're talking about vinyl then we'd go out and listen to 20 minutes out and 20 minutes back and it took me about three months before, two months, to get the running order really sorted out. And my son, Jack, when we got it going properly, he used to kick his mother around the front seat of the car. So he was essentially the selector of the running order for Bob Marley's legend. Excellent. Did you manage to get any royalties for him? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I was a staff producer, as is pointed out to me by Mr. Blackwell and Mr. Hayes. And therefore, I didn't receive a royalty. I should point out the album was done in excess of 40,000 units, million units. I think it's number one in, in the uh, current reggae markets in, in the US. Due to the pandemic, everyone has been downloading uh, or streaming Bob Marley. One and a half billion streams in the last two months. Marley, really? Yeah. Wow. Every little thing's going to be all right, eh? Well, they're hoping so. I suppose with all the black protests and various other things, uh, he he has come forth again as a bit of a prophet because he more or less 
said this would happen and go on happening. So Bob Marley is still relevant. It's funny, really, because, well, maybe not funny for you, but your time at Ireland was the, at the time was the most successful period ever, wasn't it? Because they, they weren't making any money. And then Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Unforgettable Fire and Legend within the space of, you know, what, 18 months or something? Yeah, we, it was the biggest year that Ireland had ever had. And uh, this, you know, this did not, that wasn't enough to... Um, save stiff for example which at this point was being dealt with through the accounts department of ireland and they weren't paying stiff's bills they paid off ireland's debt because that's what the money was for making the money was to pay off the debt which is which we did i think it was 13 million pounds debt and we paid it off within a year but they didn't pay stiff's bills which they were supposed to so while i had my mind on ireland and getting ireland sorted they were supposed to take care of some details of stiff a stiff had the pogues at that time but it's like a lot of uh, bands you know take, they take a while to take off and so uh stiff was okay but not being taken care of by ireland and that was a real problem um yeah i spent uh, i spent a little over 18 months at ireland and i think i did a good job for them and that's what it's about i i believe in record companies i believe in doing the right job for the artist and i believe in telling the artist that he has to do the right job for the record company because everybody's working as you know everybody's working grafting away trying really hard to pull off a few good strokes against you know the opposition <laughs> the other the other company and get some angles that make the difference and set off the career it's a very tenuous business and it's um there's no real template to it so you have to be lucky and you have to a group motivates a record company and so you have to teach them what it is that they do and also you know fame without the fortune is a drag so you have to go off and make some money uh, paul mcginnis was an excellent manager uh, excellent to know when the record company was functioning well for him and he did a very good job for his band and they've done sensationally financially and fame wise and it wasn't until they got american management that they started putting their um, shoes in the in the dog dip uh, unfortunately but up until then everything was going very well and and they're very successful paul mcginnis you know he was uh, he was liable for that Oh yeah, Paul. I mean, I mean, he's great in the business of artist development, wasn't he? I mean, he knew how to work with the people around him. I mean, he was always approachable. He he wanted to know everything about the business. I mean, I find, you know, managers like Paul McGuinness and another one that I learned a lot from was Michael Lippmann. You know, because they've been around a long time and they, and they've seen different sides of the industry. Yeah. Well, there there you have it. Good management is essential. Good record company, if if that is relevant. It's, you know, it's less and less, but internationally, it is very useful. And, uh, you know, and it's quite hard nowadays because most people are signed because they have big numbers on uh, Spotify or Facebook or Instagram. And not really, people don't listen to the music. They're not listening to the music thinking, I could make something of this because it's very good. They think, what are the numbers like? And so... Bean counters, you know, are in very strong positions and they're a complete drag. Do you have any um, memories from people that you really did feel you learned a lot from, over, even like right up until now? Do you, do you find that there are... I've learned a lot from everybody, Tony. You've mm. taught me a lot 
and everybody teaches you something because they tell you about their bit of the woods, their neck of the woods, which they know really intimately. And, and you have to listen to the experience of people on the ground who know what they're talking about, who care and know what they're talking about and don't have a political angle. You've got to learn from all those people. I learn from everybody. Uh, I am a bit bumptious and inclined to override some people, but I'm still listening to them, even though they don't kind of realize. A lot of people don't seem to understand that a lot of their ideas go into what good management actually operates on, using all the good ideas that uh, picked up from, from everybody. Ray Cooper, salesman, Ashley Newton, uh, who was always, you know, a cunning chappy and knew his way around what was happening, but loved a, a good dance tune. Uh, Ray, who, who I had a great relationship with, because he realized that my method of selling is something that he didn't have, but which he learned pretty quickly. Dave Domnio, those great island people, uh, Phil Cooper. I, I'm very fond of uh, those people, Adrian Boot, who's still around. And, uh, you know, it, it's a shame that that period, well, you know, inevitably is going to be over. But um, I'm waiting for a new period with some new stuff that I can kind of cotton onto or, or youth, 20 year olds can cotton onto that's a bit decent, that's played by musicians, that's got a bit of a story, social story about the world. Uh, I'm amazed by how few, I mean, Bob Dylan is 80 or something and just put out probably one of his greatest albums. It shows you that it's possible, but it doesn't happen every day. Uh, it's kind of all right if you're Dylan, though. You're kind of focusing on the fact that, you know, in the 60s, I mean, Bob Dylan didn't stop the Vietnam War, but he made kids aware, didn't he? And, you know, Neil Young writing songs he's about... A, he's, he's an incredible Ken... songwriter. He's an incredible songwriter, and he's writing about now. I mean, he's writing about the world. Bob Marley wrote about the world. I don't know how much of that Zeppelin wrote about the world. But the people who write about the world we're in and the social conscious that we should have, I, I, they're the people that at the end of the day you admire. Whether they can change it, who knows? Music was a much bigger part of people's lives than it is now. They're much more into a gaming situation, a lot of computer stuff, the, you know, Netflix. Oh, nothing wrong with all of those. But music has moved back to the fourth division, whereas it used to be the first division. And it's so corporate, isn't it? Because it's pretty much run by accountants and lawyers. I mean, if you look at what happened to the Dixie Chicks when they kind of, you know, yeah, said something about George Bush, that was the end of their career. Not entirely. They're still with us. But uh, it definitely dipped at that point. You, mm. Yeah, you, you, it's a problem. Bob Dylan, you know, didn't have so much to lose. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Think of that. Chris Christopherson. If you're an artist, you're supposed to speak out. If you're a newspaper journalist, you're supposed to speak out. It's very hard to do so, and people will castigate you. But who else is going to speak out? Mm. Nobody. Nobody will speak out. And so what information is anybody receiving? Bullshit. And the, and the Led Zeppelins and the Bowies and the Hendrixes were the reason people picked up instruments in those days, weren't they? They were, they were role models. Yeah, they were. They were. And, of course, they were. It was a high party. <laughs> party situation which seemed like the entertainment business seemed to be happening you know late at night it was very good it's always been it's always been exciting for people uh, who have maybe more mundane jobs and it's still there 
Um, my band, Hardwick Circus, are probably one of the best live bands in the UK right now. And, um, you know, they need opportunities because it's difficult to get onto the uh, platforms that are there unless you have a major record company. People are still excited by the idea of a major record company. God knows why. They don't really delve into what happened. People don't know the full story, Tony, and I haven't told it to you either. <laughs> so thank you very much <laughs> for the interview. And uh, let's hope let's hope you, um, you enjoy what's happening. I think it's good you've been to America and everything. I mean, it's, uh, it looks like a very difficult time between now to November, so it's going to be fascinating. Excellent, if I say so myself. I can never get enough of uh, Dave Robinson to talk about uh, the Irish and the gift of the gab. Gab bean kind of talking, for those Americans listening. And if anyone swallowed the Blarney Stone, it was Dave Robinson. His storytelling is fantastic. In previous episodes, he talks about his time with Jimi Hendrix when he was his tour manager. And how he used to run around with the Beretta in the bottom of his uh, bag. And, um, you know, he's just got some amazing stories and he's had an unbelievable career for some 50 years. And he's still around, bless him. We love him. So that's about it from us on Moments That Rock. I hope you enjoyed it and you will come back and listen to more. Subscribe, make any comments you wish and uh, tell all your friends. We can have lots of people and keep going on and on and on. There's lots of people I want to contact, talk to them about the future of music as regards live concerts and stuff. And one of those people is Peter Hook. But I'm not going to play that now because it uh, will be kind of squeezing it in uh, for the sake of it. I'll leave it to uh, another programme because I got some uh, interesting comments from Mark Radcliffe who we interviewed as well. Because uh, it's a real topic that should interest a lot of people. What's going to happen when um, the pandemic really kind of subsides and uh, all of a sudden there are arenas, clubs, if there's any left, etc, etc. But we'll listen to what other people say. But um, before we go, I'm just going to play this little bit I found about uh, Hooky. I edited it out. It's only like a couple of minutes. But um, I don't know if any of you remember the Yorkshire Ripper kid- killings about 40 years ago in the UK. Uh, was it 40? Yeah, probably something like that. Anyway, it was a, a mass murderer, for want of a better word. And um, I'll let Hooky describe what happened to him himself. But uh, he was a, a, a suspect, let's say. Peter Hook, and then that'll be it from us. We, what's, we might start about 1979 when you got questioned about the Yorkshire Ripper killers. <laughs> well, <laughs> But you didn't own up to any of them, did you? No, it wasn't me on that occasion, I, I have to say. But I mean, it, it was funny because I knew more than the police did. That oh. was the annoying thing when they pulled me up for being the Yorkshire Ripper. Uh, they said, your car's got plastic padding on the back. Oh, no. Um, and, um, you know, the Ripper's cars. And I said, mate, I said, if you read it, the Ripper's got a Mark One Cortina and I've got a Mark Two Cortina. So I actually knew more than he did. But the, this time we got questioned, I got pulled up on the road from a car but the, the reason I got pulled in with the van was because every club we played as Joy Division was in the red light district of each particular town. Oh my so God. Huddersfield, Leeds, Manchester, we played in Moss Side, which was pretty ribald at that time. Uh, all these, you know, all these Halifax, it was all, they were all in the red light districts. And people were helping the police by noting down registration numbers obviously before computers and then the police would have to go through and see if any registration numbers tallied so they had mine and steve's from every red light district in the north of england uh, and thought they'd got us and i mean steve actually did get arrested and taken to the police station 
because he was that nervous when the police were questioning him, the police thought they'd got him. Oh my God. And his mother had to go down and get him out. Oof. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Anyway, it's not his police record, is it? So, cause you're still no, him. no, we've, he's had a few um, criminal records since then. Yeah. <laughs> but, but. Insider Insights is a regular weekly feature in Moments That Rock. It's where we talk to behind-the-scenes people in the music industry and let them share their stories. More next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.